Welcome to the Home with Robin podcast. She is an entrepreneur, author, speaker, and mommy. She wants to invite you to hear untold stories of truth, resilience, and the journey of creating a home, healing, and happiness. Our guests will share the power of resilience, perseverance, and manifestation. This is a chance to share our own unique definitions of home. And now, join Robin Wilson as she welcomes today's guest. Hear a new life story. And now, welcome to Home with Robin. Good evening. We are here for another episode of Home with Robin with our very special guest, Dan Frederick. Hello, Dan. Hi, Robin. Hi. So where are you based? I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area in California. All right. And you are a native Texan. and <laughs> We have you, that in common. We do have that in common. Can you tell the world where we met and what your career has been focused on? And I'm going to do an open-ended question about advice for an entrepreneur. Okay. Uh, well, where we met was in Austin, Texas, which is your hometown. Uh, you were in college and I was there uh, managing a um, consulting project for a consulting firm based in California. Yep. And, and you have always been a champion of visionaries and helping guide people. So I guess, how would you define your career and how you've helped entrepreneurs or your friends who have started businesses and what's some advice you give them? Sure. Well, okay. First off, my background is actually in public policy and my career while I've worked in both the uh, public sector and mostly in the private sector, uh, I would say that, you know, the common denominator of all the projects I've worked on over the years have been uh, analyzing and managing issues that arise somewhere along the interface of private interest and public policy. So it's not always problems, sometimes it's opportunities, uh, but basically that's been the main focus of my career. And mm -hmm. I actually became um, interested in entrepreneurism, I don't know, pretty early on, but um, for me at least, you know, the time I spent in Austin and, you know, just for the benefit of your listeners, uh, you know, I, I was living in California uh, and went to Austin and went back to Austin and actually gone to grad, grad school at the University of Texas in Austin. W went to Austin to manage a consulting project and uh, happened to meet you because you were working, you were in college working very part-time for my client. And so we, um, we became acquainted and I asked you, you know, Hey, what Robin, what are you planning to do when you are out of college? And so we got into quite a conversation about your plan to initially establish yourself on a career path, but basically to use that as a launching pad into uh, being your own, company, in fact, your own brand. So you and I, along many subsequent years, have talked a lot about entrepreneurism and challenges and lessons and things mm -hmm. that people consider before they commit themselves to that. Mm -hmm. 
And and I guess what I would love to know is, it's, I guess that's part of my origin story, having a big idea and finding a champion who could help me coalesce or laser focus that idea. I want to ask you a question. Did you think my idea was too grand or or just a dream? Or did you did you see the this you know the the excitement as something that would really move to what you see today? I never questioned um I, I never thought that it was you know too big of an idea. I was very impressed with the idea when you laid it out for me and I have since been impressed with just how close I mean you were you know you were 19 years old, almost 20 when we met. And right. you had this vision that is so close to what you are now doing. Uh, I think it really is remarkable uh, that you, you know, held that vision and, and maintained it and helped it to evolve over whatever's been 30 some odd years uh, <laughs> to where you are today. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Um, you know, you helped me write my first real resume. Do you remember that? Oh, <laughs> I don't remember exactly, but I don't I, I had I had the intern's version of a resume, and uh, and and you were like, well, <laughs> well and helped okay. guide it. <laughs> I, I remember. Um, in our, you know, we, we had this long lunch together um, as we were getting to know each other. And I was asking you, what are your plans, you know, when you leave college and so on. And finally, you know, got my nerve up to ask you why you were working for my client, because <laughs> <clears throat> it did not appear to me that you were working enough hours for it to be, you know, monetarily significant, not how you were paying for your college education. Right. Your answer was you wanted to demonstrate work experience in your field of study. Right. Which I thought was a great thing to do. And I said, well, hey, you know, I could probably help you, you know, pull the lessons from that that would be of interest to prospective employers. And I guess mm -hmm. that's kind of where the resume thing came from. That's right. That's right. I, you know, as you may remember, I was, uh, I think I don't even know if I got paid half the time. I think it was a paid internship, but it was nominal pay for an intern in college. But I knew that if I um, had that experience on my resume, that I would ultimately be able to parlay that into a better job. And so to all the listeners out there, you may be working at a job that you see no merit in. It might be quite boring. But if it is a reputable company, you will learn something there. And I think that was always the message. Like whether I learned how to FedEx something or I learned how to do the proper margins on a business report, those are all valuable lessons that I learned from that first internship. Well, yeah. And if you'll recall, I mean, you were an in intern for my client company for one year, and then the next year you were actually a part-time professional employee, which I thought was a very heads up thing to, you know, get yourself classified as. Mm -hmm. 
and then I and then after college, I was recruited to a major consulting firm mm -hmm. um, in Boston. And much of that was based on my original internship in college. So uh, it certainly made a path. And I think that's something, uh, again, anyone starting off in their career should recognize, find a champion who will hear your big vision for the rest of your life and guide you, but also make sure that you learn something <laughs> at your internship and don't just copy paper, sometimes read it you know, and ask questions. And that's certainly good advice, but I would add to that. I mean, you were focused on your education and when you were in the office with my client organization, <laughs> you know, you were focused on the work at hand there, but you were also paying attention to things that were happening in the, you know, the broader business world. And yes. In particular, you were watching Martha Stewart. Yes, you remember. I, was, I do, and I think you took a page from her playbook. It's it's one of those things. Um, you know, I met her years ago at, at her studio, and then I, she was invited me several times to be on her serious uh, satellite radio show um, with her team, and I found that her energy was very much about business, being very warm and gracious to people who were visitors in her world, but very much about business and and making sure you have and hold on to your vision. Because so many people will impose their view on what your abilities or your limitations are. And that's good advice. And uh, I was struck by, how much the two of you had in common. Mm, interesting. I tell mean, me, tell me your thoughts. Are you aware that you both worked your way through college doing the same thing? When I went to her studio, I saw these beautiful modeling photos along the walkway um, to the seating area. And I said, oh my gosh, she's like gorgeous. She's She was a model. And then you meet her and she's very tall and you know slender and elegant. Right. And I, many people don't know this, I was a runway model uh, for stores like Dillard's and Neiman Marcus and Saks Fifth Avenue uh, doing couture uh, collections um, in the early days of Todd Oldham and Mary McFadden. And, and I probably could eat a pizza and stay and lose weight back then. Um, <laughs> I was quite thin, um, and you're right. And it, it gave me it gave me poise. You know, um, you know how to stand up straight and enter the room, and and um, well, it gave you poise, and I think a lot of self confidence as well. Uh, not really, because one <laughs> of the things one of the things modeling does do is you're never um, some you're not always right, if that makes sense. And so back then, um, there was certainly a lack of diversity. And I remember being told that I needed to be thinner. And I'm like, well, you know, I my doctor's telling me I'm headed toward anorexia. They're like, but you have a butt. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> so so then you, you try to figure out how to make your butt smaller or your posture taller so you can get four inches taller. And then all sorts of things that just, um, they, they you can't be any thinner, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, do you recall in that early luncheon conversation that we had that I asked you 
how you would know if you had succeeded as a model? No. I probably said I would get booked in, in, in Paris or something. No, you, <laughs> you said you would feel successful if you appeared in Cosmo. Oh, my gosh. No, I didn't. <laughs> and, you know, one of the interesting things about your career is. I have know, you, appeared in Cosmo. <laughs> I know. That's exactly my point is that you have used, you know, your your company, not just as a means of, you know, supporting yourself, but as a means of meeting certain goals that you set for yourself in the Cosmopolitan magazine appearance in what, 2012, maybe? I have no idea, but oh my gosh, I remember doing a bucket list in college yep. and having all these things that I wanted to do. And I think of the 100 items, I've accomplished 89 of them. And there's two I don't want to do, like bungee jumping or or you know jumping from a plane so really i've accomplished a, a tremendous number of things on that wish list well you know another um item from that same conversation was i ask you do you see modeling as potentially something you can do beyond college and you said no something to the effect that you you viewed yourself as brain-based rather than you know beauty-based modeling mm -hmm. I ask you how, you know, so how would you, or how would you know if you had succeeded, you know, in a brain-based profession? And you remember how you answered that one? I do not. Oh my gosh. You must've taken notes during that one. Time. No, I did oh not. No, I, this really impressed me. You said you would feel successful in a brain-based profession if you were a guest on the Today Show. I've done that, what, two, three times. That is so funny. Oh, my goodness. I, I think it's indicative, you know, that you you definitely had long-term goals and milestone goals and that you either consciously or subconsciously have, you know, really ticked those off <laughs> as you went. <laughs> and I think it's great that you've had that opportunity. Not everybody would have, you know. I, um, I've always said this about you, that, you know, most at, at – in in their junior year in college, most students have dreams. You had plans and goals. Um, we have to take a segment break for our sponsors. Stay tuned to Home with Robin after this commercial break. The quote you just said, most people don't have a vision, a dream, and the drive to make things happen. And you were there at the genesis of some of the coalescing of those ideas. When you look at the career that you see, you know I've gone through some ups and downs and, and sideways moments and uh, personal dilemmas and a survivor of domestic violence. And when we've spoken over the years, I would love to know your perspective on, I'll use the term resilience. How important is that in one's career? Well, I think it's important in one's career and also just in one's life. I never would have envisioned or imagined the, you know, some of the things that have come at you over the years. 
uh, particularly on the personal side. I, I just think I just never would have, have thought um, you would have to deal with some of these issues. And you have been resilient in dealing with them. You know, a lot of people would not have survived some of those. Um, a lot of people would have, you know, turned to distract themselves or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think you have mm -hmm. been good about facing them head on. And, you know, you always face the problem and solve it. Yeah. That's a very interesting takeaway. It's almost like the brand that we have. It's a it's a solution to a problem with, you know, 60 million Americans suffering from asthma and allergies. It's one in five people and we're providing a solution. Um, by the way, do you have allergies or asthma? I have seasonal allergies. My problem is I can't figure out what the season is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, you are one of the first inspirations to me to do a bucket list and your view was it's like the report card on your life when you're done getting report cards whatever your bucket list is it's sort of the dreams or the the things that you do to better yourself what are some of the things on your bucket list that you have done or not yet accomplished okay well i'll give you a couple uh, one uh, you know, I'm trying really hard to be retired. And <laughs> I don't I think that's this, ever going to happen. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure it ever happens for anybody, but um, I do have this one project that I've now been working on, um, you know, at various levels of involvement for the last nine years. And I would like to see it through. It's uh, a worthwhile project involving a uh, literacy project or product, product that's uh, designed to help some 800 million people on this planet who are illiterate. We're wow. talking uh, English language literacy here. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, this is kind of a experiment in social capitalism that some entrepreneurs and uh, California and Australia launched. And I've been pretty much a ground floor player in that have, you know, as, as that company has grown and hired people and so on, my role has diminished, but I still advise, you know, the key, key players, the CEO and so on, on, on some issues. Yeah. And it's just, I'm somebody who knows the institutional history of the, of the mm -hmm. product and the, and the company. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would like to see that succeed. And it's every year it gets, you know, it becomes more successful. And then on the personal side, you know, we are caught in a um, quite a time of transition and transportation technology. And everybody I think is focused on, you know, everybody I know's next car is going to be in an all electric vehicle. You know, mm -hmm. so we're very much, you know, in the transition from horse and buggy to cars. So now we're transitioning from, you know, gasoline or fossil fuel powered vehicles to all electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. a similar thing is happening in aviation. And I don't know if you know or your listeners know, but they're on the near term horizon. Uh, there is a new supersonic 
aircraft uh, for commercial aviation that should start flying, that they plan to start flying passengers in 2029. Mm. So this is Boom Supersonic. And the interesting thing about them is they are designing their aircraft to be net carbon neutral on a life cycle basis. So from manufacturing to final decommissioning and recycling of the no longer useful aircraft and all of the flying that it does in between those times, mm -hmm. um, when, when their total carbon footprint is calculated, it will be neutral. Now, I think that's pretty ambitious. Now, but, would this be an electric no. aircraft? Okay. I was going to say, I don't know if I would get on that electric aircraft. because No, might... uh, no this will be uh, supersonic and uh, fueled with sustainable aviation fuels. Interesting. Uh, which is a whole new area that's, you know, out there and emerging for, you know, all kinds of uh, aviation. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. No, you know, I just thought of something. Um, the Jetsons, you know, it's a cartoon so many of us know. And so many of the things in that cartoon have come true, whether the Zoom calls, right, where someone's at home and they're talking to their friend or or microwaves. Do you think science fiction is predicting the future or do you think people are copying the science fiction? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, I think certainly, you know, serious science fiction writers, you know, look at scientific trends and say, okay, this is where we're going. And therefore they're in a sense forecasting the future. But I think there's also, you know, entrepreneurs out there who grow up on, you know, people like Elon Musk who grow up on science fiction and say, hey, that's a pretty good idea. I think I could figure out a way to do that. Right. Right. Because there's hover cars now, right? There's uh there's any number of technological innovations that are based upon i don't want to say a cartoon or star wars but you know we're seeing that across the board that technological innovation mimics the things that we've seen in movies cartoons etc and what you've done i think is bring up a good point that it's uh it's about the future Right. It's it's not it's not a piggyback on the past. It's it's about the future. I think it's about the future. And I also think it's about, you know, human beings applying new technology to solve problems that therefore were considered unsolvable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm interested in, you know, I guess to just wrap up my bucket list. You know, I want to fly on that airplane. <laughs> you want to be on that airplane? I'm maybe pushing the envelope age-wise, but. Um, well, am I right? William Shatner was 80-something, just oh, did the blue. Space, yeah. Right, the blue, uh, the Jeff Bezos rocket trip. Yeah. So, And I, um, I don't even need to go to outer space. I just want to go, you know, San Francisco to Sydney in eight hours. Everybody wants to do that. <laughs> That's a that that West Coast to Australia flight. I remember flying uh, there, and mm -hmm. uh, we were over Hawaii, 
And and I, I said, we have how many more hours left? <laughs> can, can you just parachute me out right now? I'll go to Hawaii, you know? <laughs> um, well, let's, let's, let's address something that I remember about you. Okay. I remember, and I want to ask, this is for all the guys and all the ladies out there. <laughs> I remember getting a phone call from you when you met your then girlfriend, soon to be your wife. And I think it was on your first, maybe even second date. And you said, I've met the woman I'm going to marry. And I said, oh my gosh, how do you know? And you're like, I just know. So, you know, and I know y'all have been married a kajillion years. Tell me, how did you know? Well, she laughed at my jokes. Very important. And she didn't laugh at a particular interest of mine. Uh, at the time, I was very widely read or well-read on the whole subject of um, UFOs and you know, possible interaction of humans with extraterrestrials. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge body of work on that subject, you know, that's available to read. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of in the thick of working my way through, you know, pretty deeply into that pile of literature. Mm -hmm. uh, and she seemed very accepting of that. Not everybody was, you know, and I, some people thought, well, that's kind of a crazy thing. Why don't you do something constructive with your time? Right, right. Um, well, she's she's a beautiful woman. I met her and um, and just she's a wonderful human, like just beautiful and elegant. And and I just remember, you knowing. And I think every every woman <laughs> wants to hear that someone just knew. And and it's that lightning bolt moment that I guess it's kismet. Right. You met her and you just knew. And um, and had never pushed that button in the many years you had dated others, and um, and so, what advice would you give people who are sitting on the fence and they meet a special person? What advice would you give them? I guess two pieces of advice: trust your instincts, and I guess the second piece would be to consider. Consider the timing in the context of who you are and what you what you want from your life. I think mean, kind of a way of saying don't do it too early and don't wait too late. That's a really good piece of advice. As we wrap this up, um, I'm going to go to another commercial break and we're going to come back and ask you a question, a final question. Okay. We'll be right back. We'll be right back after the break. Next up, our Home with Robin guest will decide if they want a final question from the kitchen or the library. Now we are back, and I'm going to ask you, from which room do you want your final question? Well, it would be kitchen or library. All right, so I'm going to select a question for you from the kitchen. And... The kitchen question is, what is the most important appliance in a kitchen and why? Well, I got to say it's my espresso machine. <laughs> and the why is because I, I, <laughs> I would never make it to this time of day 
if I didn't have my morning coffees. All right. And how many coffees do you drink every day? I have two very nice espresso drinks in the morning. Coffee is a good thing for you, you know. It's it's the new health food. So you heard that everyone. Coffee is the new health food. And uh and the espresso machine is hugely important. I want to thank you, Dan, for this wonderful conversation. And welcome again to Dan Frederick from San Francisco, who is a leading consultant uh, in the energy sector and a dear friend. Thank you, Dan. As this Home with Robin segment comes to an end, thank you to our guest and our host, Robin Wilson. Subscribe now. Tune into the next episode. And thank you to our sponsors.